Thanks, everyone. One other uh, quick announcement. Um, starting next week, we are officially launching into our capital campaign. It's called Welcome Home. And uh, we're excited about that. You may have heard us talking about it in a moment. I'm going to show a little bit of our campaign video. But here's what I want to highlight today, is most of the information about this capital campaign, the project, the finances, the business plan, uh, the timing of it, what we're asking you to be involved in, all those questions and even more are going to be answered at pie meetings that are, that are going to be happening at our house over the next couple of weeks. So maybe you've heard us talk about pie meetings. There is pie, but P-I-E stands for Pastors Information Exchange. It's catchy like that, right? Um, so we're going to have time to show the full campaign video. We have an awesome brochure that our communications department, which is Christy Kerr, she designed and had printed. Um, and so there's going to be lots of information. We are excited about what is happening at Homestead Church. We're excited about this next season of our church and ministry and what is going to be what the potential is for us as we as a church come together and pool our resources and ask God, what would you have us do to support this project? So you might have some people walking around asking you about pie meetings. We would really love to have you sign up. You can come over to our house. There's childcare available. Um, it's going to be awesome, awesome time. So there's some this week, Monday and Tuesday night, still some spots there, as well as a couple next week, and then a few more after that. But there's information at the Welcome Center, and we're probably going to have some people with clipboards walking around saying, hey, did you sign up for a pie meeting? And so if they come to you, say either yes, but don't lie if you haven't. And if they haven't, if you haven't, then sign up for one. We'd love to have you. So I wanted to show a little teaser of our campaign video. This is just a little small thing in the middle, and you're going to think, oh, man, I wish I could see the rest of it. we well, got to come to a pie meeting to see the rest of it. So, Charlie, you can play that video for us. time is now to purchase and renovate a historic building in downtown Farmington, which would put our homestead in the heart of our great community. This building is 11,000 square feet, which will give us a great tool for ministry at Homestead. I love to imagine a lobby that is set up like a coffee shop where the family gathers on Sundays, but also throughout the week. Students will gather. I want our building to be used for community events, for after-school programs, music lessons, and other things that will be a light in our community and for our community. Well, my favorite thing about the church is that the worship leaders are awesome. My favorite thing about the church is that you get to see your friends and family. At Homestead, we love our kids so very much, and so we are excited to renovate this building to accommodate our kids' ministries. We're planning on nurseries that are warm and welcoming, a space for our Big Top Littles, which is our preschool classrooms, as well as a space for our big top kids, for our elementary students, a place where they can grow in their faith in Jesus Christ and make good friends. I think the biggest thing is everybody loves being a part of a family, and a big family is even better. And the fact that they are so good at taking care of the family as a whole, um, they're investing in marriage and they're investing in your kids, and you just really feel loved as soon as you walk through the door. Yes, you can clap for that. Very exciting. And there's even better stuff if you come to a pie meeting and hear more about it. So um, we're going to go into our message this morning. We're glad you're here. Let's open up with a, uh, this time of the service with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for this church. We are gathered here today. 
And I thank you for what you are doing in us and through us in this community and around the world. I just ask that you would be with us as we open your word, as we learn more about you. Help us to get a glimpse of who you are, your glory, your might, your power, and your mercy and love for us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in a moment, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have a Bible or you brought a Bible, uh, in the pew racks on the sides, there's some black hardcover Bibles. You can use those if you want. And if you do not own a Bible, we would be happy to give you one of those because everyone should have a Bible. But that's where we're going to be in a moment, Isaiah chapter 6, so you can follow along. Um, I was thinking of a story to illustrate kind of our topic for today. Um, And and this was... um, What I thought of when I have visited my parents in Africa, my parents teach at a college in Zambia, Africa, so I've been over there a couple of times to see them. And if you go to Africa, you have to do the typical tourist things, and one of those is you go to a game park or a a game reserve where the wild animals roam free, and you get in a little Jeep, and you drive around and see the wild animals, and that's pretty awesome. Well, the first time I went to this, you know, I had been to the zoo in Apple Valley several times. I'd been to a couple other zoos. I've been to places where you see these, a lot of these same animals and they're somewhat domesticated and they're sitting there and you go see the tiger at the zoo and the tiger, if you can see him, he's just kind of laying there looking around and he's seeing all the customers at the zoo and I'm, I'm sure he's kind of used to it. Well, at, in Africa, when we were driving around, we came upon some lions and they were a long ways away. And I found myself with kind of a zoo mentality of, oh, it'd be cool to be able to see these lions closer, right? I, oh, look at that. And then it kind of occurred to me, like, this is, we're, not in, we're not in the zoo anymore. There's no fences here. Um, these, these lions aren't looking at us as customers. They're looking at us as lunch, right? And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm fine right here. I'll, I'll zoom in with my, with my camera as close as I can. But that's, that's good enough for me, right? Have you ever, I mean, maybe if you've been to a game park, you kind of have that realization. These aren't the, the domestic animals anymore. This isn't a house pet. This isn't our dog, be- our buster at home, the beagle. You know, these are wild animals. And so we were continued on, and I had that moment, and we were in this, you know, vehicle, this kind of Jeep vehicle, and we came, we were going up the path, and all of a sudden ahead of us, no joke, like from me to the end of this room, the big lion, or uh, not a lion, an elephant, huge elephant walks into the, into the path where we're going. Now what happens for the drivers of these vehicles is they have to kind of establish as a vehicle, we're not scared of you animals, right? They kind of have to establish, we're not moving because once the animals learn that these vehicles will run away and be scared of them, well then they'll be more bold to come after these vehicles. So the driver of this vehicle with me, I mean, it was larger than a Jeep, but it was, I mean, there's probably 10 of us in this kind of open-aired vehicle. He, like, starts inching towards the elephant, and the elephant's standing his ground, too. And I'm like, this is a terrible idea, right? This is not, we're not in a zoo. This elephant wants to stomp us. And so the driver, though, is revving the engine, and the elephant's, like, flapping his ears, and they're both kind of standing. The driver's, like, dropping the clutch and spinning out toward, and and everyone in the Jeep is just like, what are you doing? And the tour guides are like, no, 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 everyone, no, Americans, this is okay, this is what we're supposed to do. And eventually the elephant moved and we kept going, and I was like, wow, this is like not the safe kind of environment of the zoo with the animals, and we, you know, pay $2 to feed the giraffes something. This is like the real deal where this, and I had my whole perspective change, like, wow, these are those animals aren't the safest things around. And wow, there is some power and respect due for those animals. And so I tell that story because Isaiah chapter 6 is a moment in the Old Testament where one of the prophets had this moment where he had his perspective changed about God. Now, I think our God, our view of God, as I, I meant to say, our view of God sometimes gets a little safe 
right? Sometimes gets a little domesticated. We get complacent in our view and our, our, our view skews a little bit. And it's easy to put God in that safe box rather than seeing, you know, creative, or creator of the world, you know, the God who formed the planets and designed humanity and all the stars in the sky. Instead, we kind of see God as, well, he's just safe. He's kind of like my buddy. He's kind of like my bodyguard. Um, he's my best friend, and I walk with God, and, uh, and he's like a concierge. If I need something, he's, he's, he's going to help me out. If I need good tickets for a show, he can help me out. Or if something bad happens, he can kind of protect me, but he's my buddy. Me and God, we walk through this life together. Now, the Bible does say that God is the God who sticks closer than a brother. There is something to be said for the closeness of God, but lest we think that our God is this Uh, domesticated kind of just friendly companion. Let's remember for a moment, and here's what I want to do in our message today, what the Bible says about this God. And there's some verses in Job chapter 26 before we get to Isaiah. They'll be up on the screen. I just wanted to read through these. This is not, you know, kind of safe, friendly, best friend, concierge God that the book of Job is talking about. Here's what it says, Job 26 verse 7. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, but yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies became fair. I'd love to have that happen today, springtime. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? What great verses, right, that talking about the awe and the power of our God. I love that this story, if you know the story of Job, all these bad things happen to Job. And both Job and his trusted friends are saying, boy, why is God allowing this? Something is up. Why is God allowing this? And this is God's response. Like, who, you may have mistook me, mistaken me, mistook, mistaken me for kind of best friend, concierge, bodyguard, camp counselor, boyfriend God kind of thing. Like, I'm here to help you and make sure you feel okay. But you don't forget That who God is, is the God who makes the heavens thunder at his voice. And we get but a glimpse of God's power. How then, and I love that verse at the end, who then can understand the thunder of his power? So as we look at Isaiah chapter 6 today, this is the story of Isaiah the prophet. And he has a moment where he has kind of that same kind of reframing of a view of God. Maybe he had thought, oh, God is, you know, he's with us. He's here to protect us. But there is a moment, and I'm going to read this story in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah gets a glimpse of who God is and his power. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 4 to start. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. With two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices and the door, at the, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
We're going to stop there just for a minute. This is Isaiah getting a glimpse in a vision or a dream, or I'm not sure what happened or how it worked, but instantly Isaiah finds himself in heaven, in this heavenly vision where he sees God. Okay, and he, he's transported where he can kind of get that glimpse of God's power, what God is like, and he sees that God is seated on a throne, exalted, high above all others, and the train of his robe is filling the temple. And then he says there's these seraphim, these angels, angelic creatures that stood and flew around God, and each of them had six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, because not even these awesome heavenly beings felt like they could look at the glory of God. And then they flew with the other wings. And all this is happening. And, and Isaiah says that he saw the train of his robe filling the temple. And the whole temple filled with smoke. And these angels were singing out in a loud, thunderous voice, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is a glimpse that Isaiah gets of who God is. And I love that picture. But I love Isaiah's response. Isaiah sees this and he realizes this is not like safe zoo animal God anymore, right? This is God for who he is in his power, his majesty, and his glory. And Isaiah sees this and he responds in verse 5 with this. Verse 5 will be up on the screen. Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah did not see this, and his response was not, whoa, this is cool, right? Maybe you'd think, wow, this is awesome. I get to see this cool God moment, and look at the angels, and I wish I had Instagram for this. I could, you know, Insta this and put a filter on it and all this stuff. He's like, this, he didn't think, oh, this is cool. This is so awesome. Isaiah's response is, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, uh-oh, that's God and I'm me, and I'm a sinner, and I am unclean, and I'm a goner, right? If this is God's glory, me as a sinful person, I'm in trouble. I'm a goner, and I'm undone, Isaiah says. I'm in trouble because of my sin, and getting a glimpse of God's glory instantly shows, how, shows Isaiah how far he is from that glory. He's a sinner, and God is holy, and this is God's chosen prophet, Isaiah, who's saying this. But he recognizes there is something to be said for the glory of God. Like, I, I am undone, I am in trouble. In verse 6, the story continues on, verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah recognizes that God's glory is no match for his sinfulness. And he knows that he is in trouble as a sinful person. But yet he receives mercy and grace. Isaiah receives grace. God's glory always reveals our need for grace and Isaiah receives grace. He says, that the angel came to him and said, your sins have been taken away. You are forgiven. This is mercy and grace in light of God's holiness. And this is what Isaiah experiences. So I wanted to describe just for a minute mercy and grace. We throw these words around a lot. Well, the definition of mercy is this. Mercy is not getting what we deserved. So if you are convicted of a crime and you deserve jail, but you get mercy, that means you don't get what you deserved. You got forgiveness. Right? So that's what mercy means to us. We, as sinful people in light of God's glory, we deserve death and separation from God. 
but yet we receive mercy. We don't get what we deserved, okay? And this is what happened to Isaiah. So when we talk about the mercy provided by Jesus, we remember we didn't get what we deserved. What I deserved because of my sin was death and separation from God, but I didn't get that. Grace is a little bit different. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, death and punishment. Grace is, do- is getting what we didn't deserve. Grace is getting a place at the table with God. Grace is being a part of God's inheritance, identity in Christ, guilt that is gone, freedom in Christ. So Isaiah recognizes that he is undone by the glory of God, but because of mercy and grace, he is cleansed, forgiven, and invited. So that moment today, I wanted to read that today because I believe we all need reminders of this in our view of God, right? Can someone say amen? I believe that we all need these reminders. Because if our view of God is best friend, domesticated, concierge God, that might be comfortable for us. That might be safe for us. But that does not inspire awe and respect and worship. That doesn't inspire worship. If you have kind of friend, bodyguard, concierge God, and that's what you are viewing, well, that, what that inspires is sometimes some power struggles, right? Well, why are you saying this, God? I want to do things this way. That inspires questions. Why do you do this, God? I deserve better. I deserve more. How could you treat me like this? Why aren't you helping me? I don't like how you do your job, God. I would like to lodge a complaint with your manager, God. That's how kind of those things lead to when we view God as concierge. And we need to recapture what Isaiah saw that day. And my prayer is that somehow we would all get a glimpse of God's glory, just a tiny glimpse, so that would help us recapture that awe and respect. Like Isaiah recognized there's a large gap between me and God. There is a large gap. We're not buddy-buddy walking down the street. There is a large gap. And I think we need to understand that gap. I think we need to get a glimpse of that. Um, I think the gap would be when, you know, I think the gap is how awesome we think we are, which should be down here compared to God, and how awesome God is. There should be a large gap, right? There should be that large gap. And look at what Isaiah realizes Isaiah realizes this, and he says, I'm not worthy of this at all. I'm not worthy of this at all. I'm not worthy of mercy and grace, but yet God, almighty, powerful God, has given that to me. And then when Isaiah recognizes that, that helps him frame everything else he does. That's like a life-altering moment where from that day on, everything is framed in the view of God's glory and our sinfulness and the mercy that we receive because of that. So look at verse 8. Look at what happens in verse 8. This is Isaiah talking still. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. If you've been around church, you've heard those words. Here I am. Send me. There's been lots of worship choruses written around those words. Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, Who's going to go for us? Who can I count on to be a prophet, to be a voice to the people? And Isaiah says, Of course I'll go. Right? Of course I'll go. I've seen God how awesome he is. I recognize the gap between that and how awesome I am. But yet I've received mercy and grace. Of course I'll go, right? Of course I'll go in light of that view of God. What else am I going to do with my life? And the same applies to us. Once we recognize that gap between our awesomeness and God's awesomeness, and yet we've received mercy and grace in spite of our unworthiness, well, that frames everything 
that we do. That frames everything that we do. Now our life is a life of thanksgiving and praise. Because we've seen God, of course we're going to worship God. Because mercy and grace, of course I'm going to worship in thanks because of what I've received from God when I didn't deserve it. If it's a life of faith, a step of faith, of course I'm willing to do that, God. Here I am, send me, of course I'll do that. Because I've seen you in your glory and your power. A life of devotion or generosity or kindness, of course I'll do that. Everything flows out of this idea that when we were so unworthy, we received mercy and grace. We are clean and forgiven and made new. So much unworthy in light of what God's glory is like, and yet we have this. So I want to take a minute and just talk about this, how it affects us in a church service like this. When we come together as a church, one thing we do, and this might be weird for you, but we sing some songs. We sang some songs this morning. And it is, I mean, it's a little weird, right? There's not too many other places you go and you get in a room with people and you sing some songs. If you started doing that at a restaurant, you'd probably have some people being like, why are we singing here at the restaurant? So it's a little, I get it, it's a little weird. But this is something we do as the church where we sing these songs of faith. It helps us kind of pool our faith together. It's something we can do in unity. We all know the songs, if, you know, if we've learned them. But it's something that we can do. It's what we do. It's why we worship at church. But what we encourage you to do is to have times where you lift your voice and say thanks to God and sing praise to God. Sometimes we say, you know, clap your hands as a sign of worship to God and celebration. Or lift your hands as a sign of surrender and worship to God. And the reason we want you to do this is because we get that idea of this is God's glory. Of course we're going to respond enthusiastically in worship. But I found myself in my life, and I'm sure you have as well, and maybe some of you are here this morning thinking the same thing. I'm having a hard time worshiping. I'm just going to kind of stand here. I'll maybe sing the songs a little bit. And Wow, three songs. That's a lot of songs. I know I wish we could probably move. Let's move this on. You know, let's not sing that one again. I don't really like that song. And Oh, he's asking me to raise my hands, but I don't really raise my hands. I'm not, that's, not, that's not who I am, right? I'm not wired for those things, and I get that. I get that, but I think if you're having a hard time worshiping, or if you're super distracted, or if you're worried about the songs that you like or you don't like, or what the musicians are doing, and believe me, I spent a lot of years in church music, there is an infinite number of opinions about what the music should be like at church. I get it. I get it. Songs, hymns, old, new, guitars, not guitars, you know, plug my ears, it's so loud, and all those things. I've, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. But if you get to that point where you're thinking about those things, it might be the gap has shrunk too much between how awesome you are and how awesome God is. I'm just saying it might be a gap problem. Because the more we expand that, the more we realize, wow, God is awesome. The more we say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to worship, right? This is glory. I mean, imagine being in the Isaiah in the moment with the smoke and the temple and the train of the robe and the angels flying around. It, it would be for sure like, yep. I'm, I'm in, you know, right? Almost like a don't look at me, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Um, it might be a gap problem if you're having a hard time worshiping. If you lower how awesome God is and you elevate how awesome you are, it's going to be hard to worship God like that. It's going to be hard. I've experienced it in my life. And, uh, and I want us to grow in that. Just That's just one way where a, a view of God's glory could help us.
growing our worship. I want our church to grow. I want us to be responsive in worship. We get what we're doing here. We're not just singing songs to fill some time at a church service. We are offering our praise to this God, that same God who is up in heaven right now with those same angels flying around singing that same song. You think we sing songs long in church? Those angels have been singing that song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty for a long time, and nobody's getting tired of it because they recognize this is God. This is holy, awesome Almighty God. So if you're Minnesotan, you might think, well, that's fine, but that's not, I'm not wired for that. I'm not wired for enthusiasm or worship. Well, I'm here to say, yes, you are. We're all wired for that. We just have it come out in different things. So I'll use one example from a couple of months ago. It is known with warmth in our hearts in this part of the world as the Minneapolis miracle, right? Were you watching that football game that day? We were there. I was watching in our house. We even had other family members who never watched football watching that game. And the Vikings were down, and it looked like we were going to have another heartbreaking defeat, and we had one last shot, and Keenum to Diggs, and for some reason the defender decided to tackle something over here instead of Stefan Diggs. And out of nowhere, we had the Minneapolis miracle, touchdown winning, game winning touchdown. In that moment, in our house, something happened. I started jumping and lifting up my hands, okay? And I ran downstairs, and everyone else in our house was jumping and screaming, okay? And maybe that had, did anyone else have that happen in their house? Maybe you were there. At no point in the stadium, at U.S. Bank Stadium, did anybody need to say, hey, everybody, how's everyone doing today? Are you happy to be at the football game today? Come on, you can do better than that. Who's happy to be at football game today, right? Come on, let's give the Vikings a hand. Let's give them a round of applause, shall we? Come on. Come on, everybody. You could do better than that. There was no need for somebody up there saying, hey, let's, how about Stefan Diggs, everybody? Could we give him a hand of praise today? Could we do that? Could we show Stefan how much we appreciate him? No, it happened. It, it came out of the people there. If you were watching it, it came out of you. Now, I do not like worship illustrations that say, if you can get excited for a football game, you can get excited for Jesus. I don't like those. I think those are lame. But technically, that's kind of what I'm doing. But all I'm saying is this, we all have it in us. It might be football, it might be something else. We all have it in us where if we are excited enough about something, we're going to respond, right? We're going to respond. It's in us. It's in us. So I just want to encourage us, recognize what we are doing. That's just an example. That's one example. You are capable of worship. And this is one area I would like us to grow in as a church. But this is way more what Isaiah experienced that day is way more than just worship in church, singing in church. And like Isaiah, following that moment where we see God's glory, I want that to frame everything that we do. Isaiah left that moment changed. God called him to do this. Of course I'm going to go. I've seen your glory. I've seen what you've done. I've received mercy when I didn't deserve it. I know you are holy. Of course I'm going to go. What else would I do with my life? A life of devotion. Of course I am. Here I am. Send me. And Isaiah's calling, if you know the story, Isaiah was a prophet, and his job, his calling of God was to go to the Israelites, to go to the people of Israel, and to continually tell them that their sin was causing God to get angry, and that disaster was coming. And he was always going to be ignored, and God even said to him, you're going to go, and you're going to say things to people, and they're not going to like you, and they're not going to receive it, and it's not going to go well for you, but this is what I'm asking you to do. And Isaiah said, of course, I'll do it. Glory, and the seraphim, and the angels, yes, of course, I will go. This is what God was calling Isaiah to do. 
You didn't say, well, why do you have to, that to, why do you, I have to do that, God? Can't you send someone else? Why do, I want to do some of the fun stuff, God. Why, why don't you send me? No, it was, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whoever you want me to talk to, of course I will do that. This is how that moment framed Isaiah's view on life, and I think it should do the same for us. There was times when Isaiah and some of the Israelite leaders, they were surrounded by an army. They were surrounded by an army. Times when the enemy surrounded, Isaiah probably was thinking, and he even said this, he's like, I, I've seen God. I've seen God and the, and the smoke and the temple and the train and the filling and the angels with the wings and the six wings and the, and the thundering voice and all that. That is something that it would be okay to be afraid of. These guys here, there's just some guys with swords. You know, I've seen God. This is not something we need to be afraid of, right? This is what Isaiah was encouraging to the Israelite leaders. I've seen what truly can inspire fear and awe. Those, those enemies with swords, they're not one of them, right? Don't worry about that. This is what Isaiah, this framed his life. The glory of God and the mercy and grace that he received led everything, everything. So for us, we need a glimpse of this. We need a glimpse of God's glory. We need to get past this, God's just with me, bodyguard, concierge, best friend, camp counselor, God, you know, those sorts of views of instead see God as glorious, awe-inspiring, powerful, and yet merciful and loving. That inspires our worship. That inspires us to grow in a life of thanksgiving and gratitude. Thanksgiving and gratitude where we say, yeah, things, I might say things aren't ideal, but yet, God, I trust you. You are good. You are loving. I've seen your glory. I am, I am in. I am devoted. I am faithful to you. A life of generosity, a life of devotion. Of course I'll live for God. Of course I'll go wherever you ask me to go, God. I've seen your glory. Starting next week, I mentioned we're going into a capital campaign. We're going to be raising some funds for a building that we want to buy. If we shrink that gap, if we elevate our awesomeness and we bring God's awesomeness down, we diminish God's glory and power, we're going to fall for the lie that we are providing for us, that we need to hold on to our resources, that we need to manage everything just right because I know God's with me, but I need to take care of this myself. And through this journey, specifically this journey financially for us as a church, I want us to widen that gap and remember that God is big and powerful and glorious. Of course we're going to listen to him. Of course we're going to obey him. Of course we're going to trust in him and find rest in this God saying that he's going to provide for us no matter what. Of course we're going to do that. There's some verses in Psalm 19 as we wrap up in a couple of minutes, because I kept, as I was preparing this sermon, I kept thinking, well, God, how do we get a glimpse of your glory? How do we do this? And maybe God will, in our dreams tonight, kind of take us to heaven, and we'll get a glimpse, and then we can write a book and make a movie about it or something. But we get that glimpse of God's glory and power. Maybe that would happen. But Psalm, 1, or Psalm 19 says some great verses. And in verse 1, it says this, and this will be up on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That's a great verse. We look up. I love that we are in a day and age where we can uncover more of the mysteries of the universe. And we've got telescopes in space that see like billions of miles away. And we can see galaxies that, you know, all the, 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 vast, the vastness of space. We kind of get more and more a glimpse of that. We just look up and we see stars. But even that should be like, that's God. That's a a tiny fraction of the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
I'm going to read a couple other verses from that same chapter. Verse 7, it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. These are all words that talk about a great, glorious, powerful God. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. And then the chapter ends in verse 14. I'm just reading a couple verses. It ends with this in verse 14. So, I like to think of, so, in light of all this, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These are written by King David in the book of Psalms, by someone who understood the gap between us as humans and the glory of God. And in light of that, we recognize the heavens declare the glory of God. We see it. We see it. We see how awesome and powerful he is. And, in, and because of that, we can say the law of the Lord is perfect. What he has for me is perfect. My lot in life is perfect. It is good. The statutes of the Lord, what he asks of us to walk in faith with him, those are trustworthy. The fear of the Lord is pure. The respect he deserves is pure. And finally, Lord, may the words of my heart and the meditations of my heart and, of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. So in light of that gap, in light of God's glory, we just say, God, I want to live to please you. Um, several years ago, I, there was this cool day where there was a storm moving in, and it was rain, what we should be experiencing now instead of snow. But I remember I was going for a walk one night, and I was like, well, I think there's some storms moving in. They said the thunderstorms are going to move in. And, but I looked on the weather radar map, and I could see, well, it's not quite here yet. The storm's kind of surrounding us a little bit, but I could still go out for a walk. So it was in the evening. It was getting dark. So I went for a walk, starting around some of the paths of our house, and it actually worked out so that the storm in the horizon was kind of like on three sides. The, the clouds were moving in, and I probably should have thought, well, it's time to go home. But I was, I was looking around, and the walls of clouds were so high, like way up there, surrounding me all around. Yet where I was, it was super calm, and then in the clouds, you could just see lightning. Like, ama have you ever seen like the amazing lightning storms? You're just like, wow, just constantly going all around. And I had a moment then. It was kind of a moment of recognizing God's glory and power. I just remember thinking, you know what? I'm pretty small. <laughs> In light of this, this is one tiny storm on a tiny planet in a tiny galaxy in the universe. And here's little Jeff on this path in Charleswood, Farmington, in awe of all that's going around me, the thunder and the, the clouds, just awe-inspiring. And I thought to myself, this is, this is nothing compared to God, right? I am really, really small in light of everything. And God is really, really big. And I had that moment where I thought, I should, I should rethink some things, right? In that moment, maybe a little bit like Isaiah was feeling like, i got to rethink some stuff. And I thought, I should be afraid of less minor things. I should be fearful of less minor things that aren't really that important. I should recognize that God is worthy of honor and respect because he's big and I'm pretty small. I should have less areas of sin in my life where I struggle with just nagging sins. I should just give that up and say, God, you're worth it. Of course you're worth it, right? I should be less questioning of God when he asks me to do something because, of course, he can be trusted. He, like, holds this planet in the palm of his hand. Like, this is nothing for him. 
Of course I should recognize his bigness and trust and be devoted to him. So that's what I want for us as a church. I want the bigness of God to become aware to us, that we would see that, that we'd get a glimpse of that. And I want that, like Isaiah, to frame everything we do. I want it to be something where we say, of course I'm going to trust. Of course I'm going to go. Of course I'm going to give. Of course I'm going to serve. Of course I'm going to reach out. And of course I'm going to live in victory and not fear. I'm not going to fear these little enemies here. This is God we're talking about, right? Amen? So let's pray together as we wrap up today. Heavenly Father, God of the universe, God of power and wonder and might and strength, the God who yet in spite of our sin and iniquity reaches out and sent your Son to die so that we could receive mercy and grace. Help us in light of all of these things to live a life that is honoring to you. Help us to have that same prayer that David prayed in the book of Psalms. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, all of them be pleasing to you. May every day be pleasing to you. God, you are my rock and my redeemer, my king and my Lord, and we are here to worship and to serve you, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you invite us in. You invite us into your family, even though we don't deserve it. So help us to have your glory be the lens that we see everything. And help that to start this week. Help us to live to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.